Imagine this. You live in a small town in Virginia. Your father had served in the first great world war. And your father had some demons from that. And because of that, he was a bit abusive. And you maybe even had a moment where you had to stop your father from beating your mother by holding a gun to your father. There's a man named Desmond Doss who grew up in Virginia. And that was his story. He grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. And in, 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 in between his faith, in between his experience with his father, he decided that he could not be a violent person. He decided to be a pacifist, which don't so no one to try to get into that right now. Just go with the story with me. We're not going there right this morning. But he had this experience and he, he had this idea. But, but as the uh, tragic event of the bombing of Pearl Harbor happened, he felt that he needed to figure out a way to serve his country. And so he decided that what he wanted to do was he wanted to become a field medic. He thought, I don't really have to fight at all, um, but maybe I could still be a part of this war effort. And so he went through boot camp and with tons of scrutiny, with tons of people um, uh, not believing in him, thinking that obviously like he was going to be a liability, all sorts of things. And yet he somehow managed his way to uh, get to see some action in the war. And he ends up winning many medals because what happens for him is there is this battle that is happening at this place. And maybe some of you are queuing in and you're like, I think I've heard of this movie before, at this place called Hacksaw Ridge. How many of you guys have seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge before? For those who haven't, I'm ruining the movie for you. You are welcome. It's been out for a couple of years, though, so it's your fault that you haven't seen it yet. But essentially what happens is there is a huge firefight and in, 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 in the American troops are not in a good place and they take heavy fire and casualty. And Doss decides he, he saves one person. And every single one of us would probably be honest. If, if you made it out of kind of some war stuff, if you made it out of one firefight, I'm, I'm just going to be real with you. I'd probably be like, all right, I did my thing. I'm good. And yet what he continued to do was he continued to pray to God and say, just let me find one more. And he went back and back, and he, he, he brought numerous men, saved numerous men's lives. Even ended up, uh, it's not in the movie, but as I was reading about his story, even had a moment where uh, it was his turn to be able to uh, be kind of catapulted, or not catapulted, not the right word, I guess, ziplined down to safety and chose to let someone else go down before him, waited five hours by himself as he had already been shot. Desmond Doss is stud. Desmond Doss is a hero. He's a leader. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about leadership, that's the type of person that I want to be with, right? Someone who puts themselves in harm's way. Someone who is brave and is courageous. Someone who knows that there is danger, knows that there's opposition, and doesn't retreat but advances. Someone who, despite knowing there's a good reality that they could experience harm themselves, still decides to go. And why do they do that? I have to imagine the only reason they do that is because of love. The only reason that they do that is they are sold out to a mission. And as a medical uh, person, his mission was to keep the men in his group safe and to take care of them. 
The story is interesting to me because most of us, if we were really honest, probably if we held those views, wouldn't even do what he did in the first place. But most of us would probably want to retreat. I would. If I knew the cost, if I knew the the probability, there would probably be a lot of me that would say, is it worth it? Or I would get to a place where I'd say, I think I've done enough. This morning we're talking about leadership. And we're talking about this idea of uh, leadership from this vantage point of this thing called next. Uh, if you weren't here uh, last week, we began uh, this uh, new series that's kind of a, a, an old series, actually, called Next Midway, in which we have been talking about this vision initiative that we started a couple years back called Next. And we're calling this Next Midway because guess what? We're midway through. And there's something important about stopping and pausing. And last week, we we talked a little bit about Next. So if you're not familiar with Next, let me bring you up to speed. The whole idea of Next was we as a church had hit a place where uh, we realized that it was time for a new season of life for our church. Through some different circumstances, it just led us to that. And we knew that one of the most important things we needed to do was prepare ourselves and just be ready to follow wherever God was taking us next. Now, some of the whys behind Next, though, were this, is we knew that the next generation... Pouring into them, into the lives of their parents was going to be a big deal. And so one of the big whys of Next was just this, is that we believed that it was important to pour into the lives of the next generation because we wanted them to know that Jesus is both with them and for them. And that if they saw us being with them and for them, that that would show them that God is with them and for them. And the second reason was to lean into this idea that we wanted to uh, reclaim this new mission statement as a church, which is to love people and help lead them to new life in Christ, and that we lead with love. And the reason why we lead with love is that's how Jesus did. And we believe that loved people, people who've experienced the love of Jesus Christ, loved people, love people. That if we have experienced love, we have an obligation. It should just be our natural response is that we would respond from our love out with love to everybody. People who look just like us and people who look completely different than us. People who share the same faith uh, uh, ideals as we do and people who hold complete opposite ones. People who have skin color like us and people who have skin color that look completely different. People who even uh, identify in all sorts of different ways that we wouldn't necessarily think of. We want to love them. We want to meet them with the love of Jesus. And we want to hope and pray that the love of Jesus will transform their hearts. And that he'll become the Lord of their life. Because that's our stories, right? No matter who we are, no matter where we've came from, if we're followers of Jesus, our life has been transformed by him. We've become new. And so one of the uh, pieces of next was we we knew that we needed to start to begin uh, planning for new leadership. Last week, I kind of shared some of the breakdowns, and I apologize. I don't think I'm going to have them on the slides today. But basically, our four components of next uh, was around this, was to uh, continue to pay for our existing mortgage here at the building, because this is uh, we're now on year 11 here at this building. Uh, it was to uh, continue to uh, be able to finish out the park building, um, which is our uh, children's building, which I have a huge announcement for you guys next week, so you're going to have to come. Uh, that pertains to the park, and you may actually even get something uh, in the mail or via email this week, so check your inboxes, homies. Um, it was to be able to do that. It was to give a uh, gift of generosity to one of our ministry partners, Bridges Outreach. 
And it was also to begin to set aside funds for staff development, to to think about this fact that um, if we want to grow, and, and we don't want to grow so anyone can feel like, look at us, we have this big church or like that. We don't want to grow so we can be like, look how cool we are, like we're the coolest church in town. We're going to get voted, you know, in the newspaper. Can I stop for a second? Isn't that the dumbest thing that the newspaper is like, let's vote for the coolest pastor, the coolest church. Like, we're all on one team. That's so stupid. Anyways, some of you are like, you're just mad because you didn't get voted. Just kidding. Please do not. That would be the, uh, that is really dumb. Um, good Lord. That's like, let's have the, let's have the competition. Who's most humble? Well, it's, <laughs> anyways. Anyways. We knew that we needed to begin to plan ahead so we could grow. And the idea of why we would want to even grow isn't about ourselves, but it's about others. That as we sang that song about the reckless love of God that goes in there, that kicks down walls, that I believe even though that is the way that God does, I believe that that is where the church should be. That while we, the church, have the light of the world, we need to go into dark places. That we, who once were lost and are now found, we need to go out and find our brothers and sisters who are still wandering. Because we know what it's like to be hopeless. We know what it's like to be broken. And we also know what it's like to be healed. We know what it's like to reclaim that identity as a son or a daughter of God. And so the reason why we would do all of these things, the reason why we try to raise this this money and why we try to point this vision is to point us outside of this place. That it's not just about those who are here, but it would be about those who would come after us. That it would be about both the next generation, but also just this, this current generation. And so one of the pieces, obviously, was this idea of, uh, of leadership and in knowing that, like, whether it would end up becoming something like how we have with Jenna now or if it was expanding roles, if it was different roles, we just knew that we needed to be faithful. That was the call from God for us was to be faithful by preparing. It's kind of like when you budget, right? Like, you know that if you're eventually going to have to get new tires on your cars, maybe I'm teaching some people some stuff this morning, uh, you don't wait to save up for your new tires when your tire just blows out, right? You prepare in advance. You begin to set aside things and prepare. Some of you guys are like laughing. They're like, man, I, I lost a tire this week. Um, but that's what we've been trying to do. And so why is it important to think about leadership? Why is all of that even uh, something that's important? I think the reason why it's important is that when you look at history and when you look in Scripture, every time God does something significant, he raises up leaders. Every time there's something significant in the life of God's people, in the life of the church, God does something significant by, by raising up leaders. And oftentimes it's not the people that we expect. Oftentimes it's from, from places that the rest of the world would say, can anything good come from there? And that's what God constantly does. But here's what's really cool, I think, about this whole idea of God raising up leaders. It's just this. Have you ever thought about this? God doesn't need leaders. Think about that for just a second. God doesn't need leaders. Now, some of you are like, well, then how come he uses them? Exactly. You know what has been one of the most, like, life soul-wrecking in the most beautiful um, way that I've realized lately in my own life? Guess what? God doesn't need me. He doesn't. He doesn't need you either. Which some of you are like, man, that's kind of harsh. Like, you're, you're kind of hurting my, my heart right now, as my three-year-old would say. But you know what? He wants you. And there's something powerful about this idea that we're not needed, we're wanted. That you, 
whom Jesus died on the cross for. He didn't die because he needed you. He died because he wanted you. There's something beautiful about that. It's sort of like the idea of, I remember uh, growing up, my brothers, we, I would like ask them, like, um, do you love me? And my brothers would be like, yeah, I guess I have to. Which I was like, oh, I want my brother to like me. But there's something powerful about want, right? That the God of all the universe, who is all powerful, he could do anything he wants, even still to this day. He could, he could just save the world however he wants to, but he chose to do it through relationships. He chose to do it because he wants us and he invites us into this mission. There's something amazing about that. It's, it's sort of like, did you ever remember as a kid, we're going through this a lot right now with my three-year-old, where like your parent didn't really need your help to do something, right? Like in, in reality, as you've gotten older, you've realized like, oh, when, when, when they would help me, like let me make cookies with them, it would actually take like 20 minutes longer and make like a much bigger mess, right? But there's something about as a kid, when you got invited in on something, like it made you feel like you had worth and value, right? They didn't need you, but they wanted you to be a part of it. I think that's the same way in many ways that God works, is that while he doesn't really need us, he wants us, that he doesn't need us to fill all those things. But that is how God has chosen over history and still to this day to redeem and restore the world. It's not through uh, programs. It's not through power. It's not through government and things like that. It is through relationships. We see throughout Scripture, we saw that God used Abraham. He used Joseph, Moses, Joshua, the different judges like uh, Deborah and Gideon. We see David, Josiah, John the Baptist, the different disciples, apostles that he used, Paul, Timothy, Barnabas, Silas. He used all of these different leaders over the history of his relationship with his people to try to bring his people back to him. Now, even though I said he doesn't need, a, need us, he doesn't need leaders, it doesn't mean that that is not important. Because the truth is, sitting in this room right now, I see so many leaders. The reality is every single one of us are a leader to a certain extent. The issue is oftentimes we have these unrealistic expectations of what a leader is. When we hear leader in church, we think, oh, must just the pastor. That's the only leader. We think of staff positions. We think of high-capacity volunteers, and all those things are true. But the reality is every single one of us, leadership is really just influence. And the reality is every single one of us have influence. Some of us may have a huge sphere of influence, and some of us may have a smaller sphere of influence. But the reality is, is that every single one of our influence is valuable. Every single one of our influences, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our resources, God could use and leverage for his kingdom. Now, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But when I think about this idea of leaders, and when I think about this idea of kind of this next level leadership, this idea of what type of leadership are we going to need as a church to continue to advance forward in the way that God wants us to do, there's one verse that comes to mind most that's most important. And, 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 and if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard this one, but you also would be like, there's so many great leadership passages where they give all these principles and characteristics. But to me, this is what sums up a great leader. In, in the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 30, Jesus said this, He must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. Now this is Jesus we're talking about Jesus right now, son of God, savior of the world, and he himself is saying, no, 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 Father God, the God of all the universe, 
He must become greater in me, and I must become less. Now, if Jesus is saying that, who is perfect, I don't know about y'all, but like, I think I need to live that even more so. And so, when I think about this idea of what it makes a great leader, what's the type of leaders that we need? Yes, we need people who have amazing gifts and talents. Yes, we need people uh, who can sing, who can uh, uh, organize things, who can play with children. But the most important thing, in my opinion, is people who get this. People who get this idea that if Jesus becomes more in my life, and slowly, in my own life, and I want to put it this way, if I look more like Jesus and less like Aaron, that's how we're going to know that we're going to be doing something right. This morning, I wanted to take kind of a, a, a midway pause in the message uh, to do a little interview, if that's okay. Like, I, like we said, we have uh, a new staff member uh, named uh, Jenna and her husband, Austin. So I'm going to invite them up real quick. You can clap for them as they're coming up. And I'm going to interview them. Oops. I partially wanted to do this one so you guys would get to know them, but two, I've always kind of wanted to have my own talk show. And so I'm hoping if anyone's watching online who's like an executive producer or something like that, call me. Uh, oh, yeah, you're definitely going to need a mic. Sorry. So um, if you didn't know the story, um, it's it's really crazy and cool how God um, has interwoven different pieces of this story and how God has um, given us the opportunity, how our lives have intersected. And I'll let Jenna tell a little bit about that in just a second. But can I tell you one thing that's been really cool? So I, I serve on some different various ministry boards and um, just have different friends. We're, we're part of this larger um, church movement called Church of God Anderson. And um, if you want to know more about that, I can tell you later. But don't Google search a ton of Church of God stuff because you might get the wrong one, like maybe the snake charmers. And that's not us. So unsubscribe. I don't like snakes. Um, but one of the things I love about it is just the connections that you make in different people. And so it's been really cool. I've actually had um, two different pastors this last week who got to meet Jenna um, because they serve on a board at another church. And um, the common thread thing from them and other people that um, I've known before I ever met her or Austin was just this um, deep sense of humility and Christ-likeness in them, um, even at a young age. So, Jenna and Austin, tell us just briefly, real quick, each of you, um, like where you, where you came from, like, I don't, you don't have to say like mom, but like the town you hail from, things like that, and just uh, maybe one of you can tell us uh, briefly how you guys met. Yes. Oh, hello. Um, so, yeah, my name is Jenna, and I am from Dayton, Ohio. Um, I've pretty much lived there my whole life. That's where I've been for this past year and a half as I was working at Salem Church of God um, with their youth group. Um, yeah, and actually that's how I know Aaron is because the youth pastor that I worked for is like best buds with Aaron. And so he was like, hey, I've got this friend, and they need help or whatever. I don't know, but, like, go check it out. And I was like, okay. So, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm Austin. I'm from uh, Milford, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Michigan <laughs> represent the two of us, just just us. Um, yeah. And we met at college. Uh, she acts in like plays and musicals and stuff. And I ran lights and sound for my job at school. Um, and so I was watching her on stage for a very long time and then finally worked up the guts to go talk to her. Uh and yeah, if you want to hear more about that story, because there's a lot it's more. It's a very long story. Let me just tell you. So I've heard the story, and it's sort of like, if you like like a good mystery podcast, ask them about this story. All I'm saying, though, is, like, no offense, Jenna, but like, Austin's version is the more accurate version. I'm just going to say it. 
I'm sorry, but he, it's, I, true. it's, it's true. It's very true. So ask them sometime when you want to take them out to dinner at like a big steakhouse or something like that. That's a good idea, right? Um, Okay, so tell us, um, speed round real quick. Favorite movie, each of you. The Lord of the Rings. Yes. That's that's a hard question. I have like a top ten, but like number one is like Schindler's List. But that's not really a good like favorite movie. Yeah. It's just like that's the best movie I've ever seen. Right on. Yeah. Everyone's like, man, Austin, we need to get you like some Disney movies or something going on here. Um, ideal type of date night food place that you're going to go to. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be like a specific restaurant, but like type of food. Like it could be, uh, I don't know, Asian, Mexican, um, pub type food, um, Taco Bell. Something new that I haven't tried before. Something new? Yeah, that's fine. Probably Asian, but then I would want ice cream afterwards. Amen. Like, not like Asian ice cream, but like ice cream. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, that just makes me think of like anyone else always go and get the soft serve at like a Chinese buffet. That was my favorite part. (laughs) Um, I'm not a big Asian food fan, so some of y'all are going to have to help them out about where to go here uh, in town. Um, Okay, so... Jenna, you have spent the last uh, little while uh, while you're in college. You uh, studied student ministry. You worked in student ministry. So tell us uh, real quick, like what makes you love student ministry? What made you feel called to student ministry? Why, why students? Because some people would probably hear students and be like, "That girl crazy." Sorry, students. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. So um, I love students. I think because they are crazy, and I feel like I vibe with. Um, my, my favorite like age group, I guess would be like middle schoolers. So like sixth through eighth grade, um, are just like my people because like, they're just like so full of energy and so full of life. Um, and I just have found that like, they're not like too cool to do anything. And like, they're not afraid to like be active and get crazy and like go all the way when it comes to games and stuff like that. Um, and so I feel like just being around students has given me like so much energy and they're just like so much fun to be around. For sure. Austin, I know that um, the last year or so, you've also been involved in student ministry. Um, tell us a little about that and, like, what did you love about it? Yeah, so um, I, I first approached student ministry because she invited me to, like, work at a camp with her. And I was like, uh, I don't know, like, working with, like, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, like, I started doing it, and it's just, like, it filled me, yeah, it filled me with so much, like, energy to be around kids and to, like, pour into their lives. Um, and then the more I've done it, the more I've recognized, like, all of the people who were there for me as I was growing up and poured into my life and how, like, I can do that for someone, which is, like, weird that I, I can. But, yeah, like, I have the ability to, like, pour into someone's life and, like, encourage them and lift them up um, yeah, and be, like, a good role model for them. So that's what, like, I really love about it. That's awesome. Um, okay, so, Jenna, um, we've been talking around here, I think you already know that, is just about this idea of, we want to be a next generational church. Uh, we really believe that the, the world that we live in now is different. You know, kind of like how I told the story of Desmond Doss that, you know, there's sometimes it can almost feel like our world is scary, right? Like that we're running into the fire and, and what do we do? So in your opinion, uh, what do you think it's going to require to reach the next generation? And, and not only that, prepare them to live out their faith in this world that we live in. Yeah. Um, so I'd say there's probably two main things. Um, and the first one is parent involvement. Like I cannot stress enough, like 
how much like you as a parent can impact your child. Um, you spend way more time with your kid than I ever will. And you're going to have way more of an influence on your kid than I ever will. I'm only going to get them for maybe a couple hours a week and you'll have them for way much longer than that. Um, so I think it is so, so important to be, um, you know, equipping parents and giving them resources that they can use like in their own homes. I know when I was a kid, um, one thing that like always struck me was I, I would like come down and like be getting ready for school and I would always see my mom sitting on the couch like doing her quiet time and like having her devotions and like that was just so impactful for me just like we never even really talked about it but just like seeing her like actively like living out her faith was very impactful on me and my journey um, and then also just relationships um, in general just making sure that like each student or young person whoever it is on their journey is like connected with as many like mentors and adults as possible um, um, just so that they have people to like fall back on and people who can show them, Hey, like, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And this is how we can do that. Um, yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, do you want to add anything, Austin? You don't have to. That was good. No, that was good. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I have no follow up to that. No, 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 Relationships good. are great. That's like how I came to Christ. So there's other people pouring into me. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, so give us like, I know this is like a big question, but like, 30,000 foot view, like kind of what, what are, what are some of the things that you envision with, um, student ministry here at South Creek and, um, you know, what, what are your hopes and dreams? Yeah. So I would hope that, um, engage as it is called here, um, would just be a place where like when students come, they know that like, first of all, like we love them, their leaders love them. Like all the adults are like happy that they are there. Um, because it's true. Um, and also that like they have a God who loves them and like has a plan for their lives. So I would really want like every student who comes to engage to like know those things, like when they leave, even after the first time. Um, I would also want Engage to like be a safe place for, where kids can feel um, that like they can be themselves and that they can come. It doesn't matter how they are, but like they can come and that they would feel safe and welcome. Um, and then also I really want to work to partner with parents and make sure that I give them resources um, that they can use in their own homes. Um, and also just like a lot of fun. Like I don't like boring things. And so <laughs> I definitely want to work to make sure that like we're always having fun and like trying new things and like going on trips and doing stuff. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I love it. So final question, um, as you think about it, and obviously you're um, holding uh, leadership over worship ministry. So like to, how can people best um, partner with you um, be there with you. And maybe you don't have all the answers for that, but like, what are, are there any ways that people have someone sitting like, I'm jiving with her. I like to have fun. Like, I think I had people who poured in my life. Um, what would be a next step for them? How could they come alongside you? Um, yeah. Well, first of all, come talk to me. I'm here to meet all of you. I'll try to learn all of your names. It'll take a while. Um, but yeah, just like I would, if like you feel like that, that's something that you want to do or if student ministry is something you're interested in or worship ministry, like, just come talk to me. Um, and I would love to like meet with you, like set up different meetings, um, just so that we can talk about what it would look like to serve in any of these capacities. Um, yeah. One last final question. Yes. Can I sing on the worship team? Yes. Whoa. Now you guys know. I, I don't know if that's good or bad. After tryouts. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> love tryouts. <laughs> That's fair. That is fair. Well, hey, uh, thank you guys so much for uh, interviewing with me. Uh, would you guys give them a hand? So for real, um, find ways that uh, you can get involved to uh, help them out and make them feel welcome. I know um, when I moved here, there were so many different ways that people made me feel uh, welcome, whether it was uh, taking me out to 
dinner, inviting me over to the, their, your homes, um, different things like that. So find ways to, um, excuse me, connect with them. You'll have a little bit of time. Um, as Dan mentioned before, those who are um, students and parents of students have a lunch uh, afterwards. But uh, find different ways to um, connect with them. All right. Back to our previously scheduled program. Um, Next level leadership. When I think about kind of four ways that God has um, shown me the, of what the next kind of uh, leaders are going to have to characterize to really live out some of what God wants to do to see the kingdom advance, there are four big things, and these are it. Humility, faithfulness, generosity, and being spirit-led. We need people who, uh, can we be honest for a second? When you meet a humble person, isn't it a breath of fresh air? You know, we live in a world where um, there is so much about image, right, from, from, from things like social media and things like that. There's, there's a lot of just culture around kind of like being, having it all together, being powerful. And there's something beautiful about in a world that values things like that to see someone who's humble, who's focused on others, who realizes that nothing great that they do is really them, that it's just God in them. Faithfulness. We live in a culture that is so, and I am like guilty as many people, who is so non-committal, right? Like, how often, if you're really honest, if someone asks you, like, if 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 you want to do something, like, you almost always like lean with a maybe. Like, there's never like a yes or a no. It's like, let me like keep my options open a little bit. Let me think about it. How am I feeling that day? I need a mental health day. I'm not saying those are bad. Just saying, sometimes we use those excuses. Anyone else also love that when you have little kids, that can be your great excuse because no one questions it? Now you're going to be like, you told me that last week. But faithful, people who are going to be faithful, committed to the mission of God, generous of their time, their talent, and their treasure, living open-handedly and being led by the Spirit. I think there's something so important about this idea of being Spirit-led because here's the reality. Um, Many people view Jesus as a good moral teacher, right? And it's true, he is. His, his teaching is great. His, his moral worldview is great. It, it still deeply shapes a lot of our world. But the reality is the worldview of his morality is nothing without the power of his spirit behind it. That at the end of the day, the morality is not something that really transforms lives. It's the spirit. It's the spirit that allows us to live those out. Because let's be real, without the Holy Spirit... We can't live up to any of that standard. Even with, even with it, we can't really. We need it. But we have to be led by the Spirit. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, uh, Peter, who was Jesus' kind of right-hand man, cut a guy's ear off once. You should read that story sometime. It's kind of weird. Uh, he said this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? It doesn't say that some people have gifts or some of those people have gifts. It's talking about every single one of us have gifts. We have spiritual gifts that God has given us that, 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 are, that are used for that. We have talents and abilities. We have resources. Whatever it is, we have the opportunity to use it. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, if you're taking notes, you can write that down and go read it sometime. But I just want to kind of tell this story. Jesus tells this parable. A parable uh, is this story where maybe the actual story itself isn't 
true. It's not factual information about people, but it is has truth involved in it. And what happens is there is a, a rich man who leaves three different guys with three different amounts of money. One, he get left five bags of money. The other, he left two bags of money. And the third one, he left one. The first two decided that they would try to use that money, invest it, so that way it would gain something over time. The one who only got one bag decided that they would bury it and hide it, so that way they wouldn't lose it and no one would be able to take it away. Eventually what happens is the rich man comes back and he asks each one of them, what did you do with what I gave you? And he found that obviously the first two were faithful. They didn't just sit on something, they multiplied it. And he said, you, my servants, have been incredibly faithful. And because of that, I am going to entrust you with even more. But the third one who sat on it, he called them out as being unfaithful. He called them out on playing it too safe. You know, the story is interesting because when you read the text, it said that he gave each according to their ability. Now, in Scripture, what's interesting is it does show, obviously, that some people are going to be given more gifts than others. Some people are going to be given greater resources than others. And there's no actual judgment that says God who gives those he likes more, more things, or that that, 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 that those he gives less for. All it really tells us is that he gives based off different abilities, and there's no value system upon it. But the value system isn't from what you are given, but is what you do with what you are given. I have known so many people in life who have been given so many gifts, but they were like the one who had the one bag and they just buried them. And I've seen so many people who had the one bag who have been incredibly faithful. And God has continued to use them over and over. Many people, people even in this church, who you will never know, you'll never know the things that they have done for the kingdom of God because they don't really care that you know. They're going to be faithful with what God has given them. So the big question as we lean into this new season that our church is in, as we lean in, the question becomes with each and every one of us as a leader who has some sort of sphere of influence, who has some sort of amount of resources, of gifting, of time, the question is, what are you going to do with what God has given you? Because the reality is each one of us someday is going to have to stand before the God of all the universe and give an account. Now, the good news is we're going to have Jesus as our homie to be like, I got you. But there's still this big question of, are we going to make this one life that we have count? Are we going to use the gifts that he has given us, the time, the talent, the treasure? And are we going to use them to make an impact? Are we going to be a person who God is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? That's what I want. That's who I want to be. And my hope and prayer is that you'll begin to wrestle with what is God asking you to do next? Is it to take a step of being faithful in, 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 in being generous with your, with your treasure, maybe with your time, finding a place to serve? And maybe it's not even here at South Creek. Maybe it's I'm going to decide that I'm going to get involved with uh, Bridges Outreach and I'm going to mentor 
through Bridges Outreach. Maybe I'm going to figure out a way to go on a mission trip. We're looking like there could be a possibility of being able to join with a group to go on a uh, trip to Belize uh, this winter. Maybe it's something like that, whatever it is. Maybe it's just blessing one of your neighbors. Maybe it's just deciding that I'm going to be more intentional with my children, my grandchildren. Whatever it is, just remember, you only get one life. You only get one time to do these things. And the reality is someday we're going to have to be accountable for what we are given. Now, the good news is we don't have to be fearful because we have the Holy Spirit. We live in community. And God isn't expecting perfection. But I do think he's hoping and praying for persistence. That we won't stop. That we won't bury the things, but we'll try to invest the things. We won't just be happy with one but we want to multiply. There's a quote I want to read from Theodore Roosevelt that uh, has become pretty popular the last year or so uh, because there was a book written by uh, a lady named Brene Brown who uh, does a lot of um, speaking and writing on uh, shame and vulnerability. And uh, she wrote this book called Daring Greatly. And, and, and really it was inspired by this quote from Teddy Roosevelt. I want to read it to you. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again. But there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows who, great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the, at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never, who neither knew victory nor defeat. I love that quote because there's something that's really Jesus-like in this. Jesus wrote in the book of Revelation. It's the very last book of Scripture. And there's these letters that Jesus wrote to these seven churches. And in one of them, he wrote to them and said, You are lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. And because of that, I'm going to spit you out. And really what this meant was Jesus was saying, You're not really in, but you're not really out. And in some ways, I'd rather you just be all in, or I'd rather you be all out. And I don't know about you, I want to be like Teddy Roosevelt. I want to be like Desmond Doss. I want to be like Jesus, really. Where I want there to be scars on myself. I want there to be dust. I want there to be blood and sweat. And I want there to be tears. Not because I really want to experience those, because I'm a wimp. But it's because I recognize right now in this world that is broken, that is dark, that is ever-changing, that I can't expect change to happen if I'm not willing to be brave and get in the arena. I can't sit back and say, this world is going so terrible. Look at this next generation who doesn't love God as I sit back and I retreat. I want to advance. I don't want to be a church who sits back and and just makes excuses for why the next generation doesn't know God anymore. Why the next generation isn't involved in church. I want to be, have some skin in the game. And you know what? Even if it means I lose something, 
even if it means I get hurt, even if it means that it could cost me so much, to me, it's worth it. Because for me, I personalize it deeply. I look in the eyes of my sons, and I know that it's not an easy world to live in. I know that the cultural climate in some ways uh, for Christianity isn't the easiest, but the reality is I am not going to stop fighting for them. And I'm not going to stop fighting for your kids, and I'm not going to stop fighting for the kids who are yet to come here because they're worth it. Because they too, I know, will experience brokenness and shame. They too, I know, are going to feel like they're left on a battlefield crying out for help. And you know what? I want it to be the church to go. I want it to be the church to say, we're going to you. Don't come to us. Don't crawl here and then we'll fix you up. We're going to go to them. And so that's the type of leaders that I want. And it doesn't take the best and the brightest. Lord knows I'm not. But it's going to take the willing and the humble and the generous and the faithful and those who are led by the Spirit. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to close uh, with one last song. And my hope and prayer is that we, as we sing this song, maybe you would just have a posture of, of listening and receiving from the God of all the universe. That maybe he has a special mission for you. Maybe for some of you, you just need to hear the fact that he has came for you and that you can have new life. Would you guys pray with me? God, I just thank you so much for who you are. And God, I thank you for the fact that because of you, we can experience new life. God, I thank you for the fact that because of you, God, that there will be those who are going to feel like they are dying and bleeding out all alone on a battlefield. They're going to be rescued. They're going to make it home. They're going to sit at their father's table, and they're going to spend eternity with him. And it's going to be because some people decided that it was worth it to face their fears, that it was worth it to fight the enemy. God, I hope and pray that if there's anyone in this room, God, who maybe feels like this whole uh, salvation thing, this whole new life, this love, this hope, this grace isn't for them. God, I do pray that as we sang earlier, that you would tear down those lies, that they would experience that hope in you, that they would know that all they have to do is ask for the forgiveness of their sins and that you are faithful to forgive and that you will live inside of them. God, I pray that we would be a church that isn't afraid of the world that isn't afraid to go into the darkness, isn't afraid to get a little bruised and bloody because we believe that that is what your son Jesus would do as well. God, make us more like him. May there be less of us, more of him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.